Okay. This is, this is always it's quite fun, having moved to the second meeting, squeezing my sermon in to, to, to the next 30 minutes. I did well on the first session, so we'll pray for another miracle. In the middle of it, Steph will arrive at some stage with, with um, words of knowledge from the kids. They're doing words of knowledge. So I had the first from the three to five-year-olds, which I've still got, and I think I'm getting the next stage group up. So while, while you're up here, they're, they're seeking God down there for, for, for words of knowledge for you, okay? So that's... that's uh, so they, get, they contribute in. This really is, you know, we don't believe in the junior Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the kids have access to him in ways that maybe sometimes we don't. Um, and I'm going to try and explain some of that to you, why that, why that is actually true, not just about the kids, but I, I want to try and encapsulate something that God has been um, helping me understand in greater measure. It, it, I'm, he's, he's recently given me language to explain stuff that I haven't been able to explain for a long time. And it's, it's things that have been part of my life, my Christian life for 40 years. I've tried to help other people understand, and I've, I've usually failed to, to do that, which has been frustrating. So um, you might have heard me say um, you know, numerous times that I, I pray in tongues 24 hours a day, um, and I worship 24 hours a day. And a lot of people go, well, how do you do that? And, and I try and explain it to them, and they... Um, and there isn't an easy how-to on this, guys. <laughs> but I've just got something that's helped me. And it was when Steve and Wendy Backland were here in June. I was reading um, Wendy's book after that, which is another great book, um, Living from the Unseen. Yeah, great book. Very simple. Again, explains truths in a simple way, makes it really accessible. And that one sentence in there, I thought, oh, why didn't I think of putting it like that? Yeah, for 40 years. Um, and she said, says this, that you are a spiritual being with a body. Rather than you are a body with a spirit. And I thought, wow, that's easy. that makes sense. The, the essence of your being, who you are, is a spirit. And that spirit has a tent. Says that in Corinthians, which is your body and your soul. Okay, the soul. Now, once you get the idea that that's it, that's the essence of you is a spiritual being, rather than an intellectual being, or a physical being. Then, then a lot of the stuff we're talking about starts to make a whole lot more sense. I remember when um, we first came across Dawn of the Silver and, and Faith Blatchford and the Sozo people, and we had them here for a conference, and, and Dawn was pray, praying for me, and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to your spirit man. And I thought, I didn't know I got one of those. So that was a... <laughs> but I trust you. Okay, I don't really don't understand what's going on, but obviously you, you, you know something I don't. And, and the reality with that, I didn't understand it, but something happened because... Now, this is one of the things I want to get at. Is, is, see, in, Christianity is not an intellectual pursuit. It's not. It, it, now, it's not that we don't use our brains, but, but fundamentally, Christianity is not an intellectual pursuit. It's a pursuit of God, and God is spirit. It's a spiritual pursuit. And when, when, you, when you only pursue it intellectually, it gets frustrating. And I talk to a lot of people who think, well, I never feel anything. No, it's, you're, you're thinking yourself out of it. I was talking to somebody this week. Well, I never feel anything. I said, so, no, even that doesn't make sense intellectually because you'd have to be 
completely anaesthetised not to feel something. My response when people say they never feel anything, I say, that's amazing, isn't it? You never feel anything. Really? That's a a miracle in itself. You never feel a thing. That is phenomenal. I've never had that experience. What's it feel like never to feel anything? (laughs) I said, that's a piece beyond understanding I have yet to experience. Can you help me? Can you lead me into that experience? They go, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we all feel things all the time. You do. It, it's... But do you live from the feelings of your spirit? This is... So I've, I've, I've been studying this, and this is really, it, it, this is the first part of where I'm, I want to take us on the journey. So I think if we get to understand this, it will unlock so much of heaven's realities for us, because heaven is a spiritual place. So when we talk about heaven on earth, we're talking about a spiritual reality that then affects the rest of our reality. Just as I'm a spiritual being, that, in, that, should, that re- living from my spirit should affect my thinking, my intellect, and my body. So, so this, this is light. So if I'm illuminated by the spirit within me, what it says, if, 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 if your eyes full of light, if your whole body is full of light, so actually you benefit from the whole aspect of light. God is light, yeah? What happens if you, if you allow darkness to, to, to overcome your light in one sense or to suppress your light? Then, then you, you, you live with the consequences of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness expresses itself in all sorts of ways, which includes sickness, anxiety, worry, fear, shame, guilt, all, all that stuff. That stuff doesn't come from God, but it comes from somewhere else. So the more we can learn to live from our spirits, then the easier it will be to overcome the battles that face us. Okay. So I would suggest to you, you just had a spiritual experience as you sung that song. It wasn't an intellectual experience, but there's something in the words that helped you have an experience, an encounter with God. So, can we throw up Luke chapter 8? Have you got, have you got, have you got all the verses? Yeah, well done. Primed you earlier. So the story of Jairus' daughter. We're going to look at a number of Bible verses here, so we're not going to land on any one passage. I just want to, to illustrate what I'm talking about. So... <clears throat> Um, you know the story of Jairus' daughter? Jairus, Jairus uh, came to Jesus and his daughter was died, basically. And when Jesus gets there, um, Jesus says in verse 52, she's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. And she was dead. But what can Jesus see that they can't? He can see into a spiritual reality. He took her by the hand. <clears throat> My child, get up. And then what does it say? Her spirit returned. Her spirit returned. That's what gave her life back. Her spirit returned. As her spirit returned, what would have come into action? All her body. The blood would have flowed. Everything, it all followed. She, she was a spirit. Her spirit returned, that's what gave her life. In Acts chapter 7, verse 59, when Stephen is being stoned, stoned to death, he says to Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my Spirit. So as he's dying, he's saying, okay, Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm not giving you my body, I'm not giving you my intellect. This is, this is me. And if your spirit's alive, it's actually, it's eternal, isn't it? This, this tent, this, this frame, and the Bible tells it, 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 it fades away, it, it, it ages, stuff like that. But we have a, a spiritual reality which is eternal. Okay? And most of you will be familiar with, with um, you know, the, the creation story. So Genesis in, in chapter 2, verse 7. Um, 
It says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So when did the man become a living being? When God breathed into him, we breathed his spirit. So, so, so the physical essence was made out of the dust. That's, that's the physical bit. But when he became a living being was when God breathed his spirit in. God formed the tent, but then he put the inhabitants in it. So when does a house become a home? It's when you live in it. A house is a house. An empty house is not a home. Then God said to this, in Genesis 2 verse 16, says, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, eat from it, you will certainly die. And all we, we all know the story that Adam and Eve gave into temptation. And what was the problem with the temptation? They were tempted to disbelieve God. Did God really say, can you trust God? That's the essence of the temptation. Can you really trust God? So they, they chose to put their trust somewhere else, which is what we talk about as faith. Where, you, where do you place your faith? They chose to put their trust in a deception. They ate. And what, what's, what's the problem? Well, actually, they, they, they eat from a tree called the knowledge of good and evil. So this, this actually explains to me that actually knowledge is not necessarily helpful. See, their eyes were open. It says their eyes were opened. What did they start to see that they hadn't seen before? The realities of evil. They were experiencing goodness. And they had another tree to eat from, which is called the tree of life. <coughs> But this tree robbed them of life. It says, because what, what, what happened? As soon as they've eaten from it, they became aware. What did they become aware of? Their nakedness is what it says, first of all. Now, beforehand, they were quite happy, naked. It says, actually, they were naked with no shame. And it's quite interesting. In the Genesis story, it says they were naked and felt no shame. That's, that's a really important statement. No shame. This is creative. Completely vulnerable, naked, open, no need for cover-up. As soon as they eat from it, what do they do? They, they suddenly feel shame. And what do they do? They cover up. And they hide. Who do they hide from? God. God. So what pro- the problem I see <coughs> is that basically what happened, as soon as they ate this, they disconnected from God. And God says, comes in and says, where are you? Where are you? That's easy. Where are you? And that's not, I'm saying, they weren't playing a game of hide and seek and God was struggling to know where they were. It's not a geographic question. It's not, it's not a physical question. That question is a spiritual question. It didn't even say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> no, where are you? Because they were lost. No. That's the reality. So which part of them died? Their spirit died. Their body was still alive and their intellect was still alive, but spiritually they were dead. The, the, the consequences of that spiritual death would actually be worked out over the course of time with decay. And it's fascinating. If you read, read, read the, you know, the, the, the stories through Genesis, you know, how long did people used to live for? Long time. You know, 967, I think, was misused the longest number, but they, a lot of them went past 900 years. You think, imagine living 900 years. Not really, fancy that. Do you fancy that? Well, I'm, very fancy. I'm really keen. Because we have a reality that we, the reality we don't fancy that, we live in a world of dec- that is decayed and decaying. 
Now, we have a chance to, to, to restore that. That's what Jesus is doing. But actually, one day, he's going to come and create a new heavens and a new earth, and it will all be restored. But there was this decay, and eventually, that you, you watch it, the, the lifespan goes down. It's, it's interesting how it decays. Do, 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 do. And eventually, God says, actually, tell you what, we'll, we'll bottom this out, 120. 120 years, that would be the outcome. Because there's... Now, in my mind, I think 120 is not a restriction. Not, not restriction. No, nasty. That, that's, that's all right. I'll, I'll make sure you don't go below 120. That's grace. I'll give you 120 years on, on planet Earth. What's the job then? Reconnect. So, so this is this is. This is the, the basic problem facing mankind. They are dead in sin. That's it. Sin, that's the disconnect. Sin is because you don't believe in me. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin because they don't believe in me. It's trust. It's a belief issue. And then the Bible describes the human condition as this dead in sin. Okay. That's pretty terminal. That's a good diagnosis. You know, it's a diagnosis. It's a straightforward diagnosis. Dead. Okay, so if you want to remedy dead, what do you have to bring? Life. <laughs> Straightforward. You don't just dress up the dead body to make it look a bit better. We're, we're not undertakers dressing dead bodies to make them look a bit better in a coffin. That's really not the job. The job is to give life. And how do people get new life? Where does, it, where does it enter them? Well, let's have a look at John chapter 3. Okay, John chapter 3. You can see I've been working my way through the Bible. <laughs> Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. <clears throat> you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Dead people can't enter anything, apart from the grave, with a bit of help. <laughs> That's very true, very true. Thank you, Elias. We put you on Comedians and Carols, I think. <laughs> Do you understand? See, I think sometimes people say, you must be born again. It's almost like a threat. This is evangelism. You must be born again. Why? Because you're terrible. No, no, you, that's not the issue. They're dead. They're not terrible. They're dead. It makes evangelism very straightforward, doesn't it? Mike? This is this good. Hey, you got a problem. You're dead. Well, we can fix that because you can be born again. That, that, this was, you can't fix them because they're dead. They, they can't see, no wonder they can't see the kingdom. They're dead. Well, so which bit them there? They look alive to me. No, the spirit is dead. They cannot see the spiritual world. They, they, can, they can be affected and have some symptoms, but they can't see the kingdom of heaven. Why? Literally because they're dead. And that, well, you're not being nasty to people. This is, a good, this is a correct diagnosis. You don't help somebody, you know, unless you get the correct diagnosis. You're not going to give them the right treatment. So it's very straightforward. So, so if, if the problem was that somehow they lost their connection with God... What's our job is to reconnect them with God, which is why it's really important that we are very happy just to show people who God is. 
we were talking about this yesterday, but um, 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 I get asked this question a lot by, by um, people around, other, other church leaders and stuff. Um, you know, when I tell them about all the activity we do, like the encounter land, say, so, yes, but some people, I have some church leaders say, yes, but how many people got born again? How many people did you lead to Jesus? Have had that question? I said, well, we led every one of them to Jesus. Every one of them we led to Jesus, and he touched them. He touched them with his love, free hugs, compassion. We, we touched them with, with, you know, power, healing. We, teach them, we touch them with his word as we prophesy over them on the street. We, we're doing this with thousands of people, week in, week out. Now, we can also lead them to the Savior, but actually that, that, that ultimately, we can't make them choose to follow Jesus. But we can make him look attractive enough to make him a good choice. <laughs> the, the picture we paint of him, it doesn't seem, not funny, the picture that's, that's generally portrayed of him, you think, want to follow him? Not if he looks like you. <laughs> that's true. I have to go to one of those church things and sit there and be bored and made to feel guilty. That's why we've got to create great churches. We're not going to make this work unless we get this idea. This is, you know, we need to connect people to God. And in order to do that, we need to be living this out. And we need to be walking by the Spirit. So, so Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says this. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That might come up there in a minute. Since we, so since you're alive by the Spirit, so, so how did you get born again? The Holy Spirit came and made you alive. He actually even gave you the faith to respond. You didn't have the faith in the first place. Somehow, I don't know how he does it, he breathes that bit of life into the dead being to give him an opportunity to resuscitate. To come back to life. So, 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 by grace he gives us, he, we come alive by the Spirit. It then says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now that is not a threat. That's not a military command. Make sure you don't get out of line. You know, a lot of Christians, am I obeying Jesus? No, we were talking about that on Friday, the obedience that comes from, from faith. But, but this, this is what it is. It's, hey, come on. Let's walk. Come, come with me. Let's walk with the Holy Spirit. Where's he going? That's what Jesus did. He said, guys, who wants to walk with me? Anybody coming? And you know what? They had to continually make that choice to follow him. Even the 12. It's a continual choice to keep in step with the Spirit. So, so we need to enjoy the, who the Holy Spirit is. And again, this is, this is one of the tragedies I see around Christianity, is people are really suspicious about the Holy Spirit. Or bored. Oh yeah, went to one of those meetings. Didn't understand it, people rolling around on the floor. Laughing. Hmm. So, I've done that. Experienced that. No, no, you, you just watched something happen, you didn't experience it. There's a big difference between a spectator and a participator. God is an experience, not a theory. You cannot, you, cannot, you cannot access him just intellectually. Now, you do use your intellect, right? We worship God with all aspects of us, the mind. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't use your mind. Please don't hear me on that. Although David will give me grief because he did a session yesterday on, 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 the, on the teacher. I'm not saying lose your mind. I'm saying don't live from your mind. 
what informs your mind? What, what is the, what is the major, what is the major thing? It's not a thing. Who's the major person? Who, who's going to lead you into all truth? There we are. That's easy. Holy Spirit. So who should be informing your mind the most? Holy Spirit. Okay. Now we go. If it's Google, that's not going to work so well. Google's useful. It's not as good as the Holy Spirit. He knows more than Google. So we need to know how to connect with the essence of our being with the rest of our beings, is what I'm saying. And we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And strongholds exist in the area of your mind. Okay, we, t- we break strongholds by taking every thought captive. Like we're making them captive to the mind of Christ. Because, by, again, the Bible says, actually, we have the mind of Christ. Where does the mind of Christ exist in you? In your spirit. <coughs> Sorry, you're getting this. You think, well, surely the mind of Christ exists here. No, 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 it exists here. Then that flows to there. That, ooh, that leads me to a problem. Wow. Have you ever had that thought? You know, you think, my goodness, that's amazing. Where did that come from? It came from, woof, there. Now, it can be while you're studying, as, as God illuminates things, as you're reading your Bible, but it's the Holy Spirit illuminates things and, and leads you into all truth. <clears throat> so, what I want to do is, is, over the course of, I'm not quite sure how many sermons and length of time, is, is to help us, and I mean, include me in this, learn how to live in step with the Spirit. And so I want to give you a few little clues just first off, um, it, it says of John the Baptist, you don't need to turn this to this, in Luke 180, that he, <coughs> he, grew, he became strong in spirit. So that, uh, there is a sense of we need to become strong in spirit. So would you, are you, would you go on that journey with me? Let's become strong in spirit. <coughs> um, and I think there are various ways that, that, that we can obviously do that. Um, and uh, I say that a couple of the ways that, that I've found the probably the most beneficial for me in my own personal life over 40 years is that I pray in tongues 24 hours a day and I worship 24 hours a day. Now, when, when I say that to people, and this is one of the things I've not been able to explain how to do to people, because they think it's an intellectual exercise. It's not. So it's not like, this is not my mind is busy 24 hours a day doing, trying to do that. Trying to get, it's not, that's not where it's happening. Because it actually tells you in 1 Corinthians 14, um, uh, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Praying in tongues is not an intellectual exercise. It says, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but also pray with my understanding. It gives you the two things. So the praying with your understanding is good. Praying with your spirit is also good. And I would say essential. It's the only way I know how to pray continually, because I can't pray continually with my understanding, because my brain gets tired. But my spirit never gets tired. My spirit doesn't go to sleep. It says this, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. I would suggest when you were singing that song, the two things were going on. There was understanding going on. You go, wow. And then there's the spirit. Wow. And the spirit going, look at that. Wait, whoa, yeah, thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> it's this, you see, there's the two times. There's, there's amazing songs do that. There's, there's a, the, the, yeah, that's true. And then, wow, that's true. So I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with the lady who was visiting for a conference, and I, she'd heard me say about speaking, praying in tongues 24 hours a day. So she came to me, "How did you do that?" So I, so I was trying to explain to her what I was talking about, and she said, "Oh, that's, that's very interesting." 
Interesting, it's one of those English words. Isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, she said, oh, I'm glad, uh, she said, I'm glad, I'm glad that's possible for you. I said, no, no, I'm, the reason you, uh, uh, I thought the reason you asked me is so I can tell you how you can do it. She said, I, I don't think it's possible for me. I think, ah. Uh, <laughs> and I came down it from every angle that I could think of, but all I was managing to hit was her intellect. Because she was trying to tackle it intellectually. And I didn't get anywhere, to be honest. And I think she left feeling, well, he's that, I think some people say that he's, he's that somehow superhuman Christian that can manage to do that. That's got, it's got nothing to do with me being human. It's got to do with my spirit. These are not intellectual exercises I'm doing. These are spiritual exercises. And this is how I live. This is what informs the rest of my life. This is when I was a junior hospital doctor working all those stupid hours, up to 136 hours a week doing emergencies. I used to pray in tongues. Do you know what? Because it used to like inflate me. I could take on the world even though I'd had about three hours sleep in 80 hours work. I say it's literally true. And I used to say, um, I used to work 80-hour weekends, come home on a Monday evening, and and this was when we lived in Bigger Hill. Guess which which night our home group was on? Monday night. Kim used to say to me, how much sleep did you get over the weekend? And she'd been very kind to me. She was looking after me. And um, I used to say, probably, well, probably total about five or six hours over the whole 80 hours, probably about five or six hours sleep. And she said, you don't have to go to home group tonight. I said, I know I don't have to go, but I want to. Why? See, I wanted to deal with something. See, see, you know what? I almost you to be propped up in the side. The physical being was just about there. But the spiritual being was engaged. And at the end of those two hours, I was energized. Because it says this in, um, where is it? Uh, 1 Corinthians 16. It talks about, it says, Paul talks about, they refresh my spirit and yours also. Do you know what fellowship should do? Refresh your spirit. One of the biggest dangers you've got to your spiritual health is isolation. It's the devil's playground is isolation. It's why he loves to isolate Christians. Because it's like spiritual death because you're meant to be connected to the body of Christ. If he can disconnect you from your brothers and sisters, he's made a success. Do not get disconnected. But Kim used to see that. Actually, it wasn't that I was not tired physically. I was still tired physically, but there was something inside me. You know, I was ready. I would commend it to you. Do you know, sometimes what I see is, is, is people, I see quite a lot of people make this mistake. And I remember talking to Catherine, and we got a little phrase. If, you, if, if, you're really, if you're really tired, you do need sleep, but if you're weary, you need God. Sleep is, not, sleep is not the treatment for weariness. Don't mistake the two. I see some people, when they get weary, what they think is they, do, they retreat into tired isolation because they think that's going to do them good. That, that is the worst thing you can do. Romans 1 verse 11. Paul says this, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to, you, to make you strong. See, when you're with other Christians, what's going on is they've got spiritual gifts that you, they can give away to you to make you strong. Because none of us have got them all. We need each other. Which is why we pray for each other such a lot. You say, oh, I don't need any mystery. No, maybe you don't. Yes, you do. Why? Because you've got to be strong and get stronger. You say, oh, I haven't got any problems. That's not the issue. We're not talking about problems. We're talking about being strong. If, if the only reason you're having ministry is if you've got problems, then goodness me, we're in a trouble. 
I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to solve your problems. I'm trying to create world changers. Now we solve your problems en route, but don't have a problem centered Christianity. How many, how, how much of your sin did Jesus take? <laughs> Do you believe it? Great. Well, what we don't. Now we live life. You see, he's given us life to live, not problems to solve. <laughs> now problems come, we'll solve them. That's okay. But the job is life and to give life away. We've got life to give away, not be problem solvers for people's. Jesus can solve all their problems. <sighs> oh, I've got to land. What a shame. <sighs> got so much more I want to say. Anyway. I'm going to give out these words of knowledge. It's the most important thing on my agenda right now. So these are from the three to five-year-olds. 